0: Well, good morning. My name is Adam Kasel. I'm the vision and administration pastor here on staff. If you are new or looking to get some more information, there's a card in front of you. You can scan that um, with your phone's camera. that will take you to QR code to get you the info that you are looking for. We also have some posters out in our lobby, so I invite you to uh, check those out after the service. Well, happy Father's Day. To all the dads in the room and those watching online, happy Father's Day. Yeah, we honor the men who have their own genre of jokes. Dad jokes. Which actually, there, there was something I saw, it, that's actually really for the benefit of kids to learn the, the complexity of language, that words can have dual meanings. Last, uh, last month, I was at a track meet for two of our two oldest boys. One of my sons was talking to a classmate, teammate of his, and I just walked up to them and was standing by them, kind of started engaging with Harrison. And the other kid looks at Harrison and goes, do you know this guy? And, And Harrison goes, he helped in the creation of me. And so I realized, I want my kids to introduce me that way every single time. This is the man who helped in the creation of me. That's... So fathers... Today, for those of you who are grilling, just know you're taking on your priestly role. Standing before the grill, turning the meat into something that can be consumed. And remember, give those tongs several test clicks so that you and everybody else knows that they're working. Fathers play a massive role in healthy, secure, stable families. So we're going to pray for our fathers today. So dads in the room, stand up. We're going to pray for you and bless you. This is, I didn't write this. Uh, I've, I found this. Um, I thought about having my wife come up and pray, but I, then I would be in trouble. So I didn't want that. I want to enjoy this day. So I'm just going to bless the dads. Dear Lord, bless every father and every grandfather with the best of your spiritual blessings today. Let him know he is not alone in the tasks you have given him to provide for and support those under his care. Show him how much you delight in his work and affirm the value of whatever you have given him to do, both as a father or grandfather and as a child of yours. Confirm his worth daily so he has no reason to doubt whether he is loved in the eyes of his heavenly father. Create in him a deep sense of trust in you, knowing that he can count on you to help him lead and protect those dependent on him. Let him know that every unselfish act of love and encouragement he has offered has been a gift that you receive gladly. Show him how effective the prayers of a godly man really are and what a difference he has and can make to those around him no matter how big or small the assignment. When challenging times push him beyond his limits, assure him that you can take him further into the realm of possible impossibility. Speak deep into his spirit, the powerful words he longs to hear from you, that nothing can ever separate him from your love. Help him to grasp firmly the promises of your word standing with faith on the things you declare are true. Reward him for his faithfulness, past, present, and future, assuring him that true success and satisfaction don't lie in his accomplishments or accolades, but in the steadfast, Christ-like character you are forming in him. Demonstrate to him your amazing grace and forgiveness as he seeks to love and to know you with all his heart, soul, and mind. Release him from unwanted burdens of false guilt and bless him for willingness to keep short accounts with you, forgiving both himself and others. Help him to see his children and or grandchildren through your eyes realizing that in your hands is the safest place they can ever be. Strengthen his confidence in the only one who can bring out good in any situation. Teach him how to meet the needs of his child's life that are within his ability to do so, but help him to trust you for the rest. Push out any needless fears and grant to him godly wisdom and spiritual guidance to lead and direct those precious children in your path, knowing he must also release them into your hands with prayerful love. Complete any healing of past hurts or regrets that may interfere with parenting or grandparenting his children. Building him a sense of joy, humility, and playfulness that draws his family close. When plans don't develop as he hopes or dreams, are not yet realized, open his eyes to see beyond this world to a greater joy that never disappoints and to a father who will never leave or abandon him or his loved ones. Give him a passionate faith, a persevering spirit, and a powerful testimony that overcomes any weakness or doubt as he wears the armor of God daily you have provided for him as a spiritual leader and child of God. Today, on special days, and for all the days of his life, fill him with the best of your blessings, so that one day he will stand before you and hear your ultimate words of praise. Well done, my son. Well done. In Jesus' name. Amen. We also uh, acknowledge that as... With Mother's Day, today may be kind of a bittersweet day or or a challenging day, and so I want to pray for those of you who may be uh, hurting today or have bittersweet feelings. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but um, if that resonates for you, this prayer is for you today. Lord, I lift up those who are hurting this Father's Day. If they have lost their earthly fathers, I pray your Holy Spirit would comfort them, for you are the God of all comfort. If they have lost a child, I pray you wrap your arms around them and hold them. And Lord, if they didn't have a father or had an absent father or are estranged, would you continue to work in their lives and to fill that void? You watch over them and understand their loss. You care about everything we care about. Lord, if they have been abused by their father, I pray that you heal their hurts for you are the God who heals. I also pray you help them so they don't harbor bitterness and that one day they can get to the place where they forgive their fathers. God, you are loving and kind and you promise you will work all things together for good. Thank you for being our Father, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning uh, we're going to continue to look at the Father of faith, Abraham uh, we're going to look at a passage from Genesis 18 and as I was actually preparing for this message, I realized I was misunderstanding the idea of Abraham being the father of faith because I was I was thinking of it as like he's the best, but he wasn't the best he was the first he was the father for Jews. And Gentiles of what faith looks like. Because uh, Jesus is actually the best example of what living by faith looks like. Abraham is one of many that we see in the scriptures who responded to God's call and he trusted God. Now, Randy mentioned this last week uh, from up front about the conversation he and I were having before the service. And he when he and I were talking, he used a highly uh, technical theological term to describe Abraham. He said he was a doofus. <laughs> it's true. We're being a little bit facetious, but there's some things that really cause you to scratch your head. But it's a reminder that as we look at people that God worked with in the scriptures, we have to hold this tension. The the one error on one side is to really revere these people as if they're almost superhuman, demigod types that never had any struggles. And the other side is to stand in judgment over them for the things that they did when in fact it's somewhere in between, right? These were just merely people who responded to what God was doing and and actually they give us a picture of our own lives that when we, we look at what they do, we can relate to them on some level, So last week, Randy looked at Genesis 12. As I said, this morning, we're going to look at part of Genesis 18. But I want to fill in the gaps a little bit, very briefly, about what happened between Genesis 12 and here. First, one of the first things that happens after God calls Abram is that he and his wife, Sarai, that was their name at that time, they go to Egypt and they lie to Pharaoh about the nature of their relationship. My wife and I, our anniversary is coming up this week. Yeah, thank you. She's a lucky woman. I'm a lucky man. I've made mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes. One of the things I'll kind of pat myself on the back about, I've never lied about the nature of our relationship to anybody else. I've never claimed she was my sister like Abram does here. But yet God still protects them. And, and not only does he protect them, when they, when they leave Egypt, they get tons of resources that go with them, including most likely a woman named Hagar, and she'll come back. Now, uh, Abram is watching over his nephew, Lot. They, they go separate ways because their herdsmen are fighting. And then he goes off because Lot gets captured in a war. He rescues him. Then Abram has this awe-inspiring vision From God, seeing that that God is entering into this covenant that only death could separate. Then he has a son with with that Hagar, because God promises him a son, and and Sarai can't have kids, so they take matters into their own hands. Then God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and he gives them the sign of circumcision. And that leads us up to our passage this morning. Now, all of that took place in a span of about 24 years. Now, Abram or Abraham made a lot of mistakes, but as you can see, he wasn't a complete screw-up. He was human, just like us. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite, as I said, invite you to turn to Genesis 18. So we're going to read about 15 verses and then skip ahead uh, to chapter 21. These verses will also be on the screen. We see the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. "'My Lord,' he said, "'if it pleases you, stop here for a while.'" Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant, who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? the visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. (laughs) Skipping to chapter 21. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God said it would. And Abraham named their son, Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter all who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this example of your miraculous, life-giving power that we see. And we ask that you would Come with that same life-giving power to each one of us this morning, wherever we need it, whether it be physically or spiritually. Would you breathe on us the breath of life? In Jesus' name, amen. So the number one thing I want us to take away from this morning is that the Father of faith gives us a picture of Christ-like hospitality. God is looking for partners in the world, and Abraham is the type of person that God was willing to partner with. Abraham isn't a perfect example, but he's a willing example. So we are God's representatives and partners, and we see Abraham model that in this passage. The first part of this picture the Christ-like hospitality that Abraham gives us is that this hospitality comes at personal expense, verses 1 through 8. Maybe you've heard or experienced hospitality in other parts of the world looks very different from the U.S. I know some people personally have been in Eastern Europe, parts of Africa, and the Middle East, places where people barely have anything, and they, the people there will gather all that they have and prepare a feast for their guests, and it's an insult to not eat it. Here, in the U.S., if we visit somebody, it's polite to say, can I get you something to eat or drink? And we say no, and that's all right. Or we could say yes. Imagine, yeah, I'd like a, love a filet mignon, if you have one. Surf and turf, if you happen to have it on hand. Some families, you ask, can I get you anything to eat? No, okay, I'll make you a sandwich. But here, there's a a higher level of of hospitality in in Abraham's culture. And we'll, we'll look at what that is. But remember, Abraham is probably in physical pain at this point. Hebrew scholars believe Abraham is still recovering from his circumcision. That's why he's sitting at the tent. And notice, he's running. Now, I'm not a doctor, I don't think that's recommended. He's still in recovery phase, running around to serve these men. Another thing that Abraham does is he takes the role of a servant. Now, you may not know this. Abraham, it wasn't just him and and his wife, Sarah, and a couple of servants. I mentioned that he went to war to, to rescue his nephew, Lot. It said he had 300 fighting men. Abraham is essentially a traveling city. He's got hundreds of people that he's caring for. So he has plenty of servants to do this for him. But he took on the role of a servant. He gets water for their feet, tells them to sit down in the shade, and then he makes a a meal for them or has a meal for their provision. He also addresses these men as my Lord. It doesn't mean he necessarily saw that this was God in his midst, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Rather, it's, it's a sign of respect. Like we might say, sir or ma'am today, right? Somehow, whether it's just the personal humility that he had or something he recognized about these, he saw them as greater than himself. And so he takes on the role of a servant. Another thing that shows the personal expense for Abraham is that he prepares a good meal. See, basic hospitality at that time would have been to provide shade and water. Food was way above and beyond. Here's the meal. Bread, veal, because it was a fattened calf, yogurt, and milk. And not only that, but the, the, the bread and the meat were freshly prepared. You may know this, meat around most of the world is very expensive. That was costly for Abraham. Then he has bread made. Okay, the, the passage mentioned it was the hottest part of the day. So here it was Sarah has to be in front of an open flame, baking bread. That's incredibly uncomfortable. Not only that, it was wheat bread because the, the word for the flour was that it would have been wheat bread, which was of a greater quality. And he didn't just make one loaf. He had Sarah make 60 loaves of bread. I guess if you're going to make one, why not make 60? So we don't know if he's intending to send his guests with provisions or, you know, he's going to prepare it for everybody. Just have a, we've got guests, might as well have a huge feast. But Abraham is showing this unique hospitality and provision and this would have been time consuming cuz he's the, the calf had to be slaughtered and prepared the bread freshly baked so the, he's hosting these guests for hours as i briefly mentioned we read we find out later on abraham one of one of these three is referred to as the angel of the lord whenever we see that it's it's as if the lord himself is talking now We don't know if this is the pre-incarnate Jesus, but there's such a close connection that the angel of the Lord is referred to as Yahweh. I think the author of Hebrews has this passage in mind when he writes, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. I think these sort of common, I'll call them common angelic encounters happen more often than we realize. I, I know of four people who have had encounters with angels in this, in this way. One of them was my wife. When she was around eight or nine years old, she was at a park, had, had a, baseball, a softball game, was going to walk back to her house, couldn't find the path um, that would have been kind of the shortcut so she goes back to the softball field, and nobody was there. And then sort of out of nowhere, this woman that she describes as sort of a, a safe mom type came up to her and just asked her, you know, who she was looking for. And Carrie said she just felt pr- peace right away in, the, in this woman's presence. And the woman stayed with her until she heard her parents calling her name. And she knew that she was safe, didn't see where the, where the lady went afterwards. So we may, in times of showing hospitality, be serving angels. Jesus will later equate serving others as serving himself. So we see that this Christ-like hospitality comes at a personal expense. And we may be hosting actually somebody who's greater than they appear. The other aspect of this passage of the picture of Christ-like hospitality is that it's a gift. Christ-like hospitality is a gift. As these three guests are finishing their, their meal, they're about to leave and they give a promise. This time next year, Sarah will have a son. Now, interesting part of this story is that one of the angels asks, where's Sarah? And Abraham just actually, it's kind of awkward in the Hebrew and it's real abrupt. He says, she's in the tent. Almost like, this isn't a cultural thing. She would have been allowed to sit with them. There's something else going on. She's indisposed. Let's not talk about it. The way of the woman has started for her, right? Likely, likely her period restarted while the guests are there. She's 89 years old. Who would want that miracle? probably want me to move on. (laughs) Wondering, can I go to church and they not talk about menstrual cycles? It's it's what we do. Let me be clear. The hospitality did not earn the promise. Abraham's hospitality did not earn the promise that this time next year, Sarah was going to have a son because the promise was already given in chapter 17. We don't know why, why this happened the way it did. Maybe this was a test. Maybe the Lord was testing Abraham to see, are you ready? Are you ready now to handle the promised son? Because in the midst of great discomfort, he went out of his way to super host three guests. Oftentimes, I think it's easy for us to diminish the importance of a, of a test because we, we know God knows all things. He doesn't need me, need us to do what he's called us to do. But I think it's for our own benefit to realize when, when God calls me to do something, I'm willing and or will do it. Now, Sarah was understandably guarded when she hears this promise, again, we don't, we don't want to overly revere these, the, the people that we read about in the Bible, and we also don't want to stand in judgment. Right? It makes sense. She's 89 years old, has been holding on to this promise of a son for years. The word for laughter is the same word throughout, and it's what Isaac will be named after. The, the name Isaac sounds like the Hebrew word to laugh. And as we read, we may be wondering, why didn't Abraham laugh? Did he have greater faith than Sarah? No, he already had his laughing moment. Genesis 17, 17 says, Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100? He thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? Again, Abraham is the father of faith. He's showing us an example of what faith looks like. He's realizing God's serious about something, and he's taking God seriously. In the midst of trusting God can still do the thing that he said, we, may ha- we can have doubts and questions. Those, those things are not mutually exclusive. They can live at the same moment within us. I'm realizing, trying to learn more and more a biblical understanding of faith and not just a cultural Christianized version of it because Abraham doesn't look very faithy at times. But what we do see is Abraham often acts immediately when God tells him to do something. Because as, as I said earlier, he's not perfect, but he's willing. Abraham is willing To do what God calls them to do. I'm not going to go into it, but we read in in chapter 21 that God fulfills the promise. He gives Abraham and Sarah the the child, as I said, who they name uh, Isaac. Abraham demonstrated Christ like hospitality, The, the gift of of hospitality is a spiritual gift that God uses to build up the body of Christ. What makes this gift Christ-like is that it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we use our gifts or receive the gifts of others, it helps conform us to the image of Christ. The, the gifts, when empowered by the Holy Spirit, points people to Jesus I would argue this Christ-like hospitality treats all people the same, regardless of outward appearance, status, or lifestyle. When we use our gifts, I'm reminded of a a metaphor from a a friend and mentor of mine. When I heard him kind of talking about uh, our spiritual gifts, and he says, we're like a garden hose. The hose moves the water from the spigot to the desired area, whether it be for the the sprinkler, plants, et cetera. The gift that we receive is for somebody else. The word of knowledge, healing, hospitality, that's for somebody else. This is is the thing I love. I, I hope I never forget it. But when we use our gifts, even the inside of the hose gets wet even the inside of the hose gets wet. When we use the gift that's for, it's for, actually for somebody else, we still benefit. Maybe you've had an, an experience of that where you shared, you, th- you think God's saying something, you share it and it resonates deeply. It's a reminder, wow, I heard from the Lord. Right? It encourages us. A few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, Nick gave me a word that was, was so encouraging, and we were talking about it afterwards. He said, I'm gonna claim that for myself. That's legal. You can do that. So, if you get a word that resonates with somebody and you like it, take it. So, Christ like hospitality is a gift to conform us to the image of Christ and serve or build up others. Now, I believe that all of Scripture points to Jesus. Ultimately, points to Jesus. So what's the Jesus picture that we get from this passage? It reminds us Jesus uh, left everything to become one of us. It came at personal expense. He, Jesus was one that we see in the Gospels. He welcomed, welcomed all who sought him. He was willing to dwell with, with everybody and anybody who would welcome him. He paid the ultimate price to bring us into God's family. Again, it came at great personal cost. He hosts us and we host him. It's a gift to be able to do that because he's the perfect guest. He always brings gifts. When he comes, when he dwells with us, he comes with gifts. That's not why we do it, but it's a, it's a perk. So this is why I said Abraham demonstrated Christ-like hospitality. So what does it look like for us? What is this this idea of Christ-like hospitality? What can it look like for us? Well, we can choose not to extend hospitality toward others, but when we do that, we miss out on being with Christ and becoming more like him. Again, it can be this Christ like or spirit empowered hospitality becomes transformative. So, a question to consider where is God calling you to a posture of hospitality? Where in your life might God be calling you to assume this Christ like posture of hospitality? Maybe it's opening your home to others. You don't have to have a really nice home to be able to do that. Just the willingness to to host others and to serve them and make them feel welcome. Maybe it's even serving here as as a greeter. Maybe you don't want to spend the whole service with kids, but you could welcome kids and their families. Kids love high fives you seen those videos of teachers that have like a unique high five for each? Uh, that'd be awesome if a couple of you took that on. Maybe there's an opportunity to extend Christ-like hospitality at work. So when the new person starts, that you take an interest in, in him or her as, as a person, getting to know them, welcoming them, helping them feel at home. Or your reputation gets out that you're the person uh, people want to interact with because of how you treat them, and you know, and they know that you'll help them. That's an example of, of hospitality. It's going above and beyond was kind of the cultural norm. Or is there an opportunity in your neighborhood? Neighboring, the art of neighboring, is hospitality knowing our neighbors' names, you know, helping them if there's something we have that, that would benefit them, caring for them, noticing them. So where might God be calling you to assume a posture of hospitality? So we've looked at this morning that the father of faith gives us a picture of Christ-like hospitality. And this hospitality can come at personal expense. There is often some cost to us. At the same time, this Christ-like hospitality is a gift. It's for others, but when we exercise it, it benefits us. We're going to take some time uh, to respond now to the Lord. Amy, if you'd be willing to come up. Any of our ministry team members, if you can come forward to be available to pray for others. So we're willing to uh, pray for any need that you might have, physical, spiritual, emotional, Maybe there's something about this idea of of hospitality, an invitation that the Lord's inviting you into, bringing you into this morning, that you want to give that to the Lord, praying with somebody else, saying, I think this is what God's inviting me into, and so I need his help. Um, before the service, as our worship team uh, was practicing, just had a sense that there was oil in the room. I don't know exactly what that could be for. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, we had the word that the oil of gladness. I think that's still available if you want it. I think also for fathers uh, this morning, if you're a dad, the Lord has anointed you to be a dad. And if there's an area that you're struggling with that this morning, come uh, get prayer. I think it could also be just an anointing on that hospitality gift too. If, if there's something stirring within you, um, opportunities to, to show hospitality to others, um, our team would, would love to, to pray for you. So I'll give you a, a moment um, to respond. continue playing our ministry teams will be available Uh, but if you need to go pick up your kids from children's ministry you're released if you have plans to celebrate your father go go in peace to love and serve the lord and dads once again happy father's day may you feel celebrated and loved today